What's up, everybody? Today on the pod, we got Joe and Ben from Elite MGA, and we're going to talk insurance. I know it's not everybody's favorite topic, or it might be, but we're talking today about how to limit your liability as a home inspector, which everyone needs to hear about and should be interested in. Um, talking about empathy, the ability to write, and how that can help you in claims or reducing your claims against you. Um, and then how it is to recommend contractors, some things to look out for there, and why it might not be as... Um, risky as you think to do. And their perspective is definitely one that's informed given they see the legal side of everything. Um, And then at the end, they talk a little bit about a potential discount you could get if you use Spectora. So you'll want to listen till the end on that. So hope you enjoy the pod and I'll include info for them in the description to reach out. Thanks. All right, everybody. Joe, Ben, good to see you guys. We've known each other a long time. Thanks for joining and jumping on. How you doing? Um, so just for those new listeners, I just told you before we jumped on, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of people that, um, maybe don't know your faces and know you, like I know you. So why don't we just tell everyone who you guys are, who you're with and kind of why we're here. Sure. So Ben and I are part of Villanova insurance partners, uh, and elite MGA. Um, we own our own captive insurance company that, uh, insures home inspectors and now stagers and designers as well. Um, Elite's been in the field of home inspector insurance for what, Ben? 20, better part of 20 years. 20 years. Um, ben and I go back even further than that, but we, um, our, our company is unique in the sense that we actually own the insurance carrier. So we, we manage everything from soup to nuts, from the rates, the claims, um, coverage, everything is run directly through us. So there's nobody, you know, out there in the ether making decisions on any of this stuff related to our insurance. Uh, I've been a litigator for 25 years. Um, before I came to the lead about five years ago, uh, the primary focus of my job every day was defending home inspectors in litigation, um, primarily in the worst state for home inspector litigation in the country, which is New Jersey. Um, and that's what brought me to Elite. Now I'm the chief claims officer uh, and risk management officer for Villanova Insurance Partners. And I see every single claim that comes in our captive insurance program for every single one of our inspectors. So, yeah. so you're kind of you're kind of the the dawn in the industry. You've seen, you've defended, you've seen claims, you kind of know, you know. I, I, I joke about it that I've, you know, I've had every permutation of claim you can possibly come up with from, you didn't tell us the house was haunted. You didn't tell us it was a meth lab. Um, all the way to the garden variety stuff that, that the inspectors deal with every day. I've, I've pretty much seen it all. You get it. Yeah. No, your, your knowledge goes deep. Ben? Yeah. So I'm the national program director for Elite MGA. And for the last 18 years, I've been working exclusively in insuring home inspectors for their, you know, general liability insurance. And as Joe had said, in, um, in the beginning of 2020, right when we were, uh, the world was going a different direction pre-pandemic, we had launched our own uh, captive insurance carrier. And the reason we had done that was after years and years of seeing home inspectors insured through uh, various carriers, some of which that we worked with uh, for years, we just saw too many issues with uh, claims being mismanaged, coverage not being uh, applied correctly, and really doing a disservice to home inspectors. So we kind of took the bull by the horns and decided to go our own direction to better protect inspectors, to be the decisions ma- decision makers when it comes to how claims are handled, whether coverage applies, and really just to, to, to better the insurance world for, insur- uh, for inspectors across the country. And yep. since then, it's been a, it's been a great program. We've, we've really enjoyed it grown it and um, I think it's really worked to the benefit of uh, of all the inspectors we have on our program. 
Yeah, you guys have built great relationships and everyone has nothing but great things to say about you guys. For definition's sake, for those of us that don't live in your world, so is it typically separate when you say like captive insurance care, like Joe, you explained, it's all under one roof. Is it typically like split out? And and what are the implications of that? Just so I'm learning here. For the most part, when any, and this applies to any professional really, but more so to home inspectors, most of the, the entities out there that offer insurance products in this profession, um, they're brokers and agents. And so they're selling somebody else's product. Mm. They don't really have skin in the game. You know, they're, they're, they're insurance agents. They get paid a commission for the business they place with a carrier. And unfortunately, in that relationship, what happens is that carrier is really the decision-making entity that decides the rates and, more importantly, decides how claims are handled and managed. Uh. So really, the, the people that the inspectors are seeing at trade shows and things, they're not the people that actually make the real decisions. They're salespeople. Right. We actually own that insurance carrier. And so what that means is that this is our risk in the game. We, we own the company that insures our thousands of inspectors all over the country. So we don't have anybody over top of us to tell us what to do or how to manage it. So because of that, we have complete freedom on how claims are managed. Uh, we handle every single one. And like I said, I look at every single one that comes in for every state in the country. And then we triage it in our team. Um, and it allows us to make decisions about coverage and, and, and other issues that the people, that the faces that people are seeing when they're buying the insurance aren't making any of those decisions. Um, when somebody calls us, you know, and, and has a, wants to talk about a claim, it, it doesn't go any further than me. Um, uh, ultimately, I'm going to help them and make the decision on that claim. And, and I actually do work hands on on some of the claims as well as some of the big ones. So um, I can, but, I can, oh man, I can imagine the runaround you would get if you went to your rep or salesperson at a trade show. Cause I, you know, trust me, we all see all the same vendors at trade shows and, um, and they're like, ah, oh, the carrier, you know, they kind of do yeah. this drug of like, <laughs> I don't have any control over it. That's no, it, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because on the one hand, you know, it's great because we, we love that control. We, when we promise something to our people, we can deliver it. But the curse of it is, you know, we have to make difficult decisions sometimes sure. too. And, sure. um, and, and also, you know, we, we always, like, we like the, it's, it's, it's tacky a little bit, but we like to call ourselves the company of yes, right? And so we like to be the ones when somebody comes to us and says, hey, I want to try out this new, you know, thing with my, this new ancillary service with my inspection, is your policy going to cover me? Well, I can make that decision, you know, and, and that's, it's great. Um, um, but sometimes I have to have difficult conversations with people too about claims. You know, not every claim is meritless. Um, but I feel like that, that we do it with the focus on, we want to keep these people in business. Um, we want to keep them able to put food on the table. And, and because we're focused on home inspectors, you know, we have, we, we feel like we have a different duty, you know, we're, we're not some nameless, faceless person in a desk in a cubicle making decisions about your claim. You know, we live and die with it with you. And it's our money at stake. You know, we're, we're in this as much as you can possibly be in this with the inspector. We're in it. That's so refreshing, first of all. Let me just tell you that. Because, like, obviously, the majority of the insurance industry, not the best rap. Most people don't like it. But from the day I met Ben, I was just like... I don't get an insurance feeling when I talk to you and that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I like you. The I job you. Done there. Yeah. That's, 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 and that's the way we always want to be perceived by everybody is that we're not, 
we're we're partners. You know, we're not we're not dictators. We we want to be there to work with our, our people to keep them in business. I think yeah. the relationship part of this business is is paramount, right? You said earlier that having the relationships and and people want to buy insurance from people that they know and trust. And when we can eliminate that layer of of being at the mercy of other people making decisions, whether it's insurance adjusters that are working for an insurance company that are completely out unrelated um, and, and eliminate that and the decisions stop with us, that, that, that helps build a trust and rapport with our inspectors. And like I said, that's paramount. And also too, I mean, we, we work in an evolving industry, right? Things change, services um, uh, pop up that inspectors want to offer. Even for example, when the pandemic started, right? The, the whole idea of doing a home inspection was, was tricky, right? People didn't want people in their houses. People didn't want any contact with people. So, you know, when something like a walk and talk inspection, uh, that, that whole idea surfaced. Right. We have to be able to make moves to accommodate what the industry is doing. And when you own your own carrier and have control over that, it makes us a lot more agile, a lot more able to make those quick decisions on the fly to, to evolve with the industry. And that, that's important. Yeah. You guys are tapped in, you know, it's like, we've been at conferences together where we're hanging out and you just pick up so much from those relationships and just hearing the chatter of like, Oh, we're doing this now we're, we're pivoting in this way. So how was COVID in in your world? Like, what did you guys, <laughs> I know that's a broad question. Well, Take it however you, you know, want. Obviously it was. So when we launched this captive insurance company, it was literally January, 2020. So <laughs> Yeah, that was not expected. We we did not have that in the business plan. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was tough because all of our our, our insureds, you know, are out there wondering if they're gonna be working tomorrow or next week and be able to do their job because a lot of states shut them down completely. And a lot of states let them keep working. And and so we had 50 different versions of who was doing what and trying to accommodate all of our insureds as best we can. And so we had instances, for example, where, you know, we had to create on the fly um, special inspection agreements that had all the COVID, you know, details in it about uh, contact and, and that, you know, you're not going to sue the inspector if you catch COVID because you showed up at the inspection, you know, and, and early on, we weren't sure if touching things was a problem or, you know, and so these poor inspectors are out there trying, just trying to do their job and, and, you know, real estate closings were still happening. People were still moving, like, there were some things in place that couldn't be changed. And, and so we had to adapt quickly to that. And, and we also, so we did that agreement. Um, and then the walk and talk inspections kind of derived from that because right after COVID, you know, the market saw some dips in terms of sales. Um, and so we had to adjust for that. But, you know, I think what we learned from COVID internally is that um, when people are focused and, and, and want something to happen, want to make something work, you can do it under any circumstances. And we were focused, even though we couldn't be in the same room with each other. Um, you know, we were immediately had everything set up that we needed to do to keep communicating, not just internally, but with our insurance as well. And, and try to stay up on when can they start work and, and what can we do? And, and so that, that was challenging. But I feel like it, you know, it's like any good challenge, when you come out on the other side, successfully from it and you, and you learn from that boy that becomes some of the greatest experience you can carry with you for the rest of your life because you know no matter where the chips fall and and the world can be crumbling but if you if you're dedicated to what you do you can overcome that yeah love it 
Love it. Makes sense. What about now? Like, so let's fast forward to now. It's like, what, what are you guys seeing and hearing out there? Ben, I don't know. If, have you, have you been to a conference lately? What's the last conference you went to? Yeah, gosh, that's a good question. Maybe were we down in Texas? Yeah. I think Texas was the last one Ben and I did together. That was in January. Right. Yeah. And I think the industry, the biggest challenge right now, just from, from the inspection industry, it's just the real estate market as a whole, right? I mean, people are stuck in their houses, not wanting to move because of interest rates and you know, they have all this equity, but they don't want to, they, they're, they're reluctant to move because, you know, you're, you have a mortgage interest rate of 2.75 or three, and the idea of moving and, 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 and not really increasing or your mortgage doesn't go down. And it's, it's difficult, right? There's some areas that are doing better than others, I think, um, across the country. But um, it's it's definitely a challenging time for just different reasons. I think we're, what we are seeing though is a little bit. Um, there's a downturn in terms of claims um, mm. against home inspectors, and everywhere except a couple of states, which are always the loss leaders. New Jersey's always going to be the loss leader in the country, no matter what. Bar none. There's just why is I, that? I, uh, there's a couple reasons. The first reason is that um, it's a litigious state general. And, and not just for home inspection, for any kind of claim whatsoever. So we have that issue. Um, there's a lot of transactions. Um, and I, we we tend to see in New Jersey, the, the court system is reluctant to, to dismiss lawsuits um, before we all spend tens of thousands of dollars getting to the same facts that we knew when we started the lawsuit. Right. And and so the judges won't throw cases out. For example, you know, when we have a, a clear situation where there's a claim that the inspector did not detect mold, well, that's not part of a home inspection. So that's we would anybody in this business would say that's a relatively easy claim. Not in New Jersey. They they file the lawsuit, we move to dismiss it on that basis, and the judge says, Well, you know, we're gonna let them develop their case. And twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars later, the case is developed. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that it's worth 10 grand, you know? And so, <laughs> so, so we have that, that's a huge wall and it's not something we can control. And so we have to adapt, right? Like with any risk, if you can't eliminate it, you have to guard against it or, or insulate against it as best you can. And so we try to do that as much as we can. We spend a lot of time on education in New Jersey. Um, the other thing is that it's, it's, it's a, a weird state and, and really the only other one like it is California in the sense that you get, you know, mountain houses with structures and, and, you know, $15 million homes. And then if you go South in the state, it's farms and, and, you know, and row homes and things. And so the dichotomy of, of all the different types of construction, the people coming in and out of there, the amount of, it, it just adds up to a, to a kind of a boiling pot a little bit there. And so, you know, we still write there very successfully, um, but that's where we get, what we see, unfortunately, is that when those things come to us, they're usually lawsuits. We are, the way our company is organized is we like to get access to these things as soon as the inspector knows it's coming, whether it's a lawsuit or not. And even if it's not going to be something that's going to be a payable claim, we want to manage it and get rid of it. Because a lot of times if you can get your hands on these things and do your investigation before everybody's paying the lawyers. And look, uh, I was one of those lawyers, but before the lawyers get rich on the case, if we have that in advance, a lot of times we could diffuse that situation in a much more favorable way for the insured and for the claimant, quite honestly. Um, so that's been the challenge there is that things mostly start out as lawsuits where we don't have a lot of opportunity there. Um, people are already incurring legal bills and so they're much more reluctant to either dismiss or resolve 
uh, a disputed claim. But everywhere else has been relatively slow in terms of claims. And so it gives us more time to focus on education um, for our inspectors. And you know what, what we do is you know, we look at every single reported case in the country uh, that comes in that mentions the words home inspection. Um, and we look at every single statute and every single change that happens on a monthly basis. And then we use that internally to develop education plans, seminars, and things that we put out there, you know, for free. Um, we don't charge for any of that stuff, but so we'll go out and do a two-hour seminar, say, in New Jersey on structure claims because that's a big ticket item right now there. And so that helps us stay ahead of it because, like I said, you can't if you can't eliminate the risk, you sure have to insulate against it. And being up on current trends in education is, is a key factor in that, as well as having the right software and report systems, which I could talk about for probably about the better part of the next week about how they can, you know, influence what happens with a claim because you, you, you might be amazed. You probably wouldn't because you know what your product is, but sure. you'd be amazed how much that can affect the dollar value, the money that's spent and, and, and how that claim progresses because what people lose focus of a lot of times, it's not going to be just home inspectors looking at that report. It's going to be a jury or a judge or an arbitrator. Right. So that thing's got to be, that thing's got to make sense for everybody. You know, and the average American reads at a seventh, eighth grade reading level. Based on some of the claims I've seen, I, 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 I might go lower on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, with that in mind, like it's also, it's, it's your, your work product is, is hugely important. And really, you know, it's one of the first steps in insulating yourself from claims, no matter what state you're in. Sure. Let's get to the report stuff in a second. So I, I have a few follow-up questions. So you mentioned claims are down. I would have thought the opposite given people are paying up for homes. So clearly that's not a correlation. It, is there a way to make sense of that? Oh, dynamic? No, there's, there's an easy way to make sense. It's because of the market that we had in the last two years. So most claims take, most claims come to us within a year of the inspection. Okay. So inspections were down last year which means the frequency, the opportunities for claims to happen is down. Oh. So it's, it's almost, it's a, there's that happens. And part of what else happens too is, you know, we, um, as we see claims, we teach people on, on what's happening in them and so it prevents the future ones, but it, it is partially driven by the frequency. If there's fewer inspections, then there's going to be fewer claims. And that, so it's, it's, it's not the greatest thing in the world, right? Because I want to see my inspectors out there doing as Making many money. inspections as they can, right? right? Like we're, you know, we're here, we're here for it. If we have more claims, we're ready. Um, but that's really what's going on now. And so, you know, now is a really good time for inspectors to look at the risk profile. You know, if, if things are a little bit slower, you know, you're looking at two things, usually ways to make more money and ways to keep your money. And, and so the risk management component becomes much more important when frequency is down. And look, we've all, we've been in this business for a long time and, and these trends come and go, um, and we've seen them before, but, but the other, the, I think the other thing that's happening too, though, is, is I think the home buyers are, some of them are, are getting, uh, better products than, and, and better inspectors, um, than they might've gotten in the past, because I think education is really up. Um, and I think a lot of inspectors are focusing on that in some of their downtime too. And, and I think that's also contributing to, to less claims. You bring up a great point because from my vantage point, there was a flush out at the end of last year and early this year of guys that got in the business just because inspections were raining from the sky. 
and and then the the great high quality companies have continued to grow despite less inspection. So that kind of paints a picture there, right? Higher quality, less claims. Um, you mentioned something that I want to kind of put out there for inspectors listening of bringing things to you sooner than they think they should. So like that, I bet you that's something some inspectors could benefit from us rehashing of like bringing sure. it to your care. Cause most people are scared to do that. Cause I'm like, Oh, my rate's going to go up. Right. That's like the basic. Exactly. Thing. Uh, yeah. It, it's the worst part of the job. Kevin, I think the, the, the very value proposition, the backbone of the value proposition of what we offer is sitting right next to me with, with Joe's experience legally and, and having um, years and years of practice defending home inspectors. And we've set up our program, and I hope that every listener out there understands this, is that we're here to help, right? As the insurance provider, our pre-claim assistants and Joe and his staff, that's what, that's what they're here to do. But we can only help as much as uh, the inspectors report these matters to us, they can report any incident. We encourage them to do that, right? That's part of their insurance. It's reporting that to us so that we can get them early. Because the last thing we want to have happen is then getting blindsided by a lawsuit. And then once that happens, your deductible is, is, is chewed up. We're, we've got to hire local counsel for you. And that's, uh, that's, that's when you start running up some, some big bills. We, you know, when I was practicing, when I was out there defending inspectors, and this, <clears throat> the concept that they have, that a lot of inspectors have of, I never want to get my insurance company involved because it's always going to end up bad for me. I can't blame them for having that feeling because having seen the way claims were handled and, and how inspectors were penalized, you know, by these companies for using the product they're paying for, um, it never sat well with me. And, and when I was practicing, the worst calls I would get would be the inspector calling me and saying, hey, Joe, I got served with a lawsuit and uh, I'm going to need some representation. And I say, well, did you call your carrier? Because you have to let them know, you know, you're in, you're in New Jersey, you have to have insurance, so you got a carrier, you got to call. Well, um, you know, I, I knew about this a year ago. They wrote me a letter and I ignored it. I thought it would go away. And I didn't want to call my carrier because I can't afford to have a claim on my policy. I can't pay more for the insurance this year. My, my inspections are down. You know, I'm, I'm not making as much money and I, I really couldn't afford to throw out my deductible and, and have a claim come. And they always just roll over and settle it anyway. So I would have been, you know, in much more shape. And I feel your pain. You know, I grew up in a, a small business family. I know what that's like. But my mandate when I came to Elite was if we're going to do this and have a captive carrier for inspectors, that can't ever happen again. And so we created what we call worry-free reporting. And, and it's exactly that. You can report things to us. It is not a claim on your policy where it can affect your premium unless we have to write a check for an amount of money above your deductible, sure. either to pay a judgment, pay an attorney to represent you, whatever the case may be. And we don't, even if it's not a claim, you submit it to us and we will manage it for you and help you and either resolve it, respond to it, whatever the case may be, even if we're not writing a check. Because all that, it helps us certainly. But more importantly, I, I never have to have that inspector tell me, Joe, I should have told you about this two years ago, and I didn't. And, and inspectors are still kind of, you know, suspicious <laughs> that that when, when I tell them this, that this is the absolute truth until they go through the process with us and they learn it. That's exactly what we do. I mean, I, yeah, you know, that that's the bread and butter of this. And, and, and my team, you know, they thrive on this. We get it. We triage it. We know what we have right out of the gate. And we can make decisions 
that will insulate the inspector going forward. And there's a lot of a lot of these things go away if they're handled immediately. You know, that's the key the point. Other, that's worth yeah, reiterating. Yeah. Like that's it worth is. reiterating. <laughs> it really is. And you know, the other part of it is too is when the inspector goes out there when the client makes a complaint, and they're responsive, and they go right out there, and they go out and they listen to what they say, and they photograph all the conditions and everything. That goes a long way to preventing the claim as well. And so, what we do when an inspector has something that's not a lawsuit, you know, and I'm not talking about a claim where the house fell down and people have been, you know. I'm talking about your garden variety home inspection matter. My roof's leaking. My basement's leaking. I found a crack died. in the wall. Right. I got bats, whatever the case may be. Right. And so usually involves water somehow. And when we get that in, I, we can kind of diffuse that. And, and if the inspector gathers that information for us, we actually help them through that process. You know, a lot of inspectors call me and say, well, I got a call from the client. You know, I don't know if it's going to be anything. What should we do? And I'm, I'm right there with them on the phone. Here's what you're going to do step by step. I want you to go out there, you're a business, you're going to be a professional. And the only time I won't recommend somebody go out there is look, there's always class, right? And so we will always have the occasional nut job claimant who wants to yell and scream or whatever the case may be, or try yes. to somebody. And so we deal with those entirely differently. Sure. But, um, for, but the garden variety ones, we'll educate them and walk them through the process of collecting that information and data. Because the other thing is that thing might go away now. And then next year they might have a lawyer and bring a lawsuit. And now all that good evidence of what was there is gone or it's been repaired because once they give you the opportunity to go out and look at it, if you blow that off, they can fix it and they don't, they can still sue you even if the evidence is gone because you had an opportunity to look at it and didn't. And so we gather that evidence and that helps us decide also, is this going to be something that probably has legs? And if it does have legs, maybe I want to bring an attorney in for my insured right now. You know, particularly in states where we have legal defenses like limited liability in the agreement or a limitation on the time somebody can sue an inspector. Sometimes I'll bring in, and we have a panel of attorneys all over the country that use my template, you know, for how I did it for 20 years. And, and so they all have their instructions in every state and they know exactly what I want them to do from point A to point B and how to do it. You know, and, and, and then in terms of monitoring that, when things do become claims, who better to look at these legal bills and determine whether or not they're reasonable and keep those costs down than somebody who did that job for 20 years for every insurance company? I mean, AIG, Lexington, Hartford, Hanover, you name it, Cumberland, whatever the case may be, I, I've worked with them all. So I know how those are supposed to look and I know how these claims are supposed to pan out financially too. And so because we can keep a firm grip on that, when there is a claim, we can keep those costs down for our insurance. So I think uh, the moral of the story in all this for any listeners out there is help us help you, right? We have these, these mechanisms in place to manage, manage claims or incidents, but we can only help if we're aware of it, right? And uh, we, have, we have online claim submission portals. We make it really, really easy to do it, but we, we, need, to, we need everyone to understand that, that our job here is to help. And we have the pre-claim assistance. We have all these mechanisms in place. And we have Joe and his staff with, you know, probably 40 years combined legal experience among all of them uh, to assist them and walk them through this. So it's, it's there. We, we just we just need, um, you know, everyone to, to understand that and, and take action when necessary and realize we're here to help. 
when in doubt, be transparent, right? It just feels better to be that way anyway. Like in my life, when I've kept secrets or had something where I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I should disclose. It's like disclose it, say it, talk about it. If you're, if you're transparent, you really never have anything to worry about. Maybe right? nothing to worry about. Because what's done is done. I think a lot of inspectors hold on to what happened and think it through and then stew on it. You guys probably see this. What advice would you give to like customer service advice? Because I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying of like, just going back out, staring the problem in the face, figuring out what happened and documenting it. What, I, I don't get the sense all inspectors think that way. No, <laughs> no, many of them, I'll tell you, we get a fair share of incidents that come to us and and the fire has already been lit. So, uh -huh. And so you'll get these, I'll get you know an email chain of these back and forth that listen, and the claimants are just as bad sometimes too, right? But yeah. where the inspector is is obviously insulted by the proposition that they could have made a mistake. And yeah, home inspectors don't make mistakes. Let's get that out there. Yeah, they, right. They Nobody, neither do I. Lawyers, <laughs> that's why we lawyers don't have that insurance either. You know, we all do. You know, I, I tell I tell inspectors when I teach seminars, my job is not much different from yours. We're all professional communicators. That's the right. end game. Yeah. The end game of all of our jobs is professional communication. And why not take that with you when you have an incident to diffuse? Why not keep that same professional attitude? You know, the same attitude when you go to the realtor's offices to tell them why you're such a great inspector. You might keep that professionalism when you deal with a complaint. And like I said, you're not going to make everybody happy. There's kooks everywhere. We, I see them all. <laughs> but, but, but a lot of them you can. Or at the very least, you know, you're going to have a better idea of what that incident or claim is, and we're going to be better able to help you. But you got to treat it like a business transaction. And I, listen, I know it's difficult. I, I'm, a, I, I, I'm a lawyer. I'm a professional. If somebody were to tell me I don't know what I'm doing on inspection contracts, for example, well, my nose is going to get pretty far out of joint on that, right? Just like if I told a guy who's been doing this for, or a lady who's been doing this for 20 years, hey, your roof inspection kind of, you know, lacks lack some steps right that's not what they want to hear and so they don't and then and then when it comes with by the way give me 10 grand well then, then it's really not a communication you want to have but you gotta buff, you gotta bite your lip and you gotta be the bigger person and you gotta go out there and treat it like a business event Kevin I, I think I think empathy goes a long way mm. right yeah and I was on the phone this morning for about an hour with one of my inspectors in California that's got a an incident for an inspection he did a couple of years ago. And, the, and the, the girl that he did the inspection for um, had a, a plumber come over to her house and explain to her that the, the water heater was installed improperly. It's not up to code. And there were a number of other code issues um, where her house is deficient. And he's upset about it. And there's, there's mold that he couldn't have seen. There's no way he could have seen. And, and trying to explain to him, he, he called me wondering, well, how do I respond to this? And I, I said, well, empathy, right? And you have to communicate what your job is as a home inspector and equally important what it's not. Hmm. But just explaining to her that he's, he's sorry that she's experiencing the situation. And of course, you know, when he has a contractor come in there and tell her that, that he was wrong, um, him having to, to, I think the knee-jerk reactions automatically go into to defensive mode. I'm not wrong and, and, and explain every reason why he's not wrong, which he's not. I mean, he, he did his home inspection in accordance with the standard of practice, but being empathetic and, and communicating to her that he's very sorry that she's experiencing the situation and that empathy go, goes a long way. 
And when your professional uh, work product is called into question, still having to, to respond and, 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 ex and express empathy to that person for the situation that they're in, while also explaining to them why his inspection is not, not a code compliance inspection, why he's not liable for these things, and having to walk that fine line of, of, of showing compassion and empathy for someone that's in that situation while still educating them accordingly. You know, the other thing that too that comes up and for some of the inspectors when they go out there and deal with the client at the site, be responsive like that and listen to what they have to say. The, the, the client comes to figure out that the home inspector is their best witness and advocate, not their enemy. Um, because look, I mean, the, the, the reality is that most of the time these things are seller problems, not inspector problems. And, you know, sellers um, and not, not, you know, not, intentionally trying to commit fraud, but literally everything they're going to do to get that house ready for sale is going to right. frustrate your ability to do it a good inspection. Right. And and if they have a stager and you know it's it, it is it is the way it is. We can't change the way the dynamic works there. But a lot of times the inspector goes out there and says, well, you know, when I was here, uh they they had that piece of furniture right in front of that hole in the wall. And by that's why it's not in my report. And you know, I would I could testify for you that it's not like, but but that's the way it was. I I I couldn't possibly see it, and and it's a shame because I think you know the reality is that most of the time these claims should be between buyers and sellers, but there's no seller's insurance for for failure to disclose or fraud in the sales transaction. Right. So usually, you know. It, I, I make this joke all the time when I speak, but I'm usually faced with the proposition of trying to find a 90-year-old widow, you know, who sold her family home that her husband built with his bare hands, and she's now, you know, living in a in a 55 and older community in Florida. And I'm going to track her down and some pin this entire thing on her and expect that she has the financial means to respond. And yeah, it just isn't going to happen, you yeah. know, but and sometimes the insurer our inspectors are like, well, you know, I this is clearly the seller. And I I agree with you. It's clearly the seller. But the unfortunate economics of this is the seller's the last person they're going to go after because they don't have the cash. And in some states, you know, I'm not going to get too much in the legalese, but in some states we have what's called comparative liability. So if you have a lawsuit, you have multiple defendants, the jury has to allocate the percentages of fault out of 100, you know, for the damages. And in some states, if the inspector is just, you know, a couple percent responsible, the plaintiff can collect the entire judgment from that one defendant and then make that defendant go and assert indemnity claims against the other responsible parties. Well, guess who's going to lose there, right? I'm not getting that money from a rock. And so that's why I try to explain to the inspectors that, you know, sure, part of the reason you're a target is you're the business and the seller isn't, you know, but but with that, you know, that that's the responsibility you carry by accepting that licensure or putting that shingle up on your door. Like, that's part of the job, unfortunately, is that the people who are usually the most culpable are the least likely to be able to um, defend themselves and pay a judgment. Ah, brutal. Um, so let, let's let's go back to the communication thing, because I think it's really important. And it's an area where a subset of inspectors are very weak. I'll call it how it is. Um, they work with their hands. Some of them, you know, came from the trades. Right. So what are some ways? and this is kind of a software insurance crossover question, what are some opportunities and ways they can communicate what they are not 
better? And, and would, would that help kind of on the margins reduce claims? Yeah, it, it would. So I it reduce them or, you know, give us appropriate tools to mitigate them, right? Which is, right. is also just as important. And so the, the communication factor is that where I see a lot of inspectors get messed up is they create this boilerplate, you know, text that they want to use and they keep using it for 10 years and it's really not good anymore. It's not relevant. But I think they, I think people fail to understand that, you know, this client reading at a seventh to eighth grade reading level may have never bought a home, may have never seen a hammer, may not know what a soffit is, may not know what, you know, a sill plate is or any of the stuff with the words that are going to be in your report. And so we always want to make sure that we're writing for the people who are paying us to write for them, because that's our audience. You know, um, in addition, though, your other audiences are the people that might look at this after the fact and try to second guess you. But the most important viewer of that information is always going to be the client. Let's, can I we highlight that again? Because I'm passionate about this because I, I, I look <laughs> at so many reports and I talk to so many inspectors and they all, not purposely, I yeah. think everyone else in the world knows what a home inspector knows. You said seventh grade read level, and that's generous. That's 13. <laughs> but that's a 13 or 14 year old or 12 year old, like somewhere in that range. Now, you know, I, 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 I'm quite sure if I took any, you know, some of the reports I've received and, you know, I got a typewritten one in this week. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it, it must have taken a long time to typewrite that 60 page report, but they do. <laughs> um, but but I'm sure if I showed that to my my 15 going on 16 year old at home, she's not going to get it, and she's pretty bright. And and so I I feel like that your target audience is really the whole. It, it's not just all the regulations say your audience is the client. Your your every standard says you're going to tell the client. So that client needs to be the focus of that communication. And that communication is worthless. You can be the greatest inspector in the history of inspection, but if you can't write in a way that your client's going to understand it, appreciate it, and know what actions to take, you're not you're not doing the job. You're just not. I think we're all probably to some degree guilty of this in a way, right? Like I sometimes communicate with my inspectors using insurance vernacular that they don't understand and it's second nature to me because it's what I do for a living. Just like Joe could talk in legalese, it would be, you know, gibberish to us, Kevin, with, you know, with technical language when it comes to software. And we, we, we sometimes take for granted that people aren't looking through the same lens that we are and we expect right. them to communicate and understand what we're saying because it's what we do every day. Yeah. So I think that communication mechanism and dumbing it down to the simplest level and remembering that not everyone does what we do. Uh, for a living in our respective fields and having to, to, to communicate that in a very layman's term uh, terms is, is, is not something to be taken for granted. You know, I, I, I would say in a lot of the claims we get, you know, the, the pushback from the claimant or their attorney when we say, well, there's information here in the report. And they say, well, they identified this as like a maintenance item. And I didn't think that was something I had to deal with right now or um, they, you know, the inspector wrote this in the report, but when I was there, they told me something else. Don't, don't go off script. <laughs> if it's important enough for you to say it to the client, it should be verbatim in that report. But, but that's probably a different topic. But, you know, again, communicating in a way that these people can understand means that you, 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 you have to spoon feed it to them and you have to teach them. And, and the more you can provide photographs and graphics to help direct their attention, right? You know, the 
colors, anything. People now, you know, that this is their life. And, and when they pop this open, it's all interactive and geared in a way that makes it easier for them to see what they need to see or what they want to see. And ideally, your inspection reports should work exactly the same way. It's, it's a visual communication as well as a narrative. And, and the pictures and, and explaining to them what's there is huge. But you also can't be afraid to call something what it is. And, and I think a lot of inspectors, you know, it's, it's, it's the weirdest profession in the sense that the most of the, the people that are going to refer you to work, if you look at most of these home inspector regulation schemes, they're the last people you're allowed to even talk to. Right. But 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 a lot of inspectors get a lot of work from realtors and, and flippers and people who do transactions all the time. And it's natural for us. You know, I, I think home inspectors like lawyers and, and insurance people, we we're natural helpers to some extent. Um, although people on the other side of me in cases probably would never say that. But but it's true. And, and we try to help people as best we can. And I think sometimes we get lost in the idea that, you know, um, sometimes we have to just say what it is. And that referral source might not like that, and that may make their job harder, and that's okay. But you know what else it's going to do? It's going to insulate that referral source from liability too. And I think that gets lost sometimes on people. And so I see a lot of reports where the inspector could have been more assertive about what's there. I see a lot of reports where the inspector is not assertive of when they need to do this. Remember, we're talking to a 12 to 14 year old. So it's not enough to tell them something needs to be done. You know, it's it's clean your room. Well, how? <laughs> how and when? So, yeah. Right. And so can I do it Saturday between three and four instead of now? Like, there's all kinds of negotiations. But the point of it is that you're, you're telling them when to do it and who to communicate with. Um, and so I see a lot of times where the, the judgment call on whether something is, you know, watch it for a while and see if it changes versus have that contractor come out before the end of your inspection period under your agreement of sale. The difference between those two statements is what makes a claim. Wow. I love hearing this because I think some inspectors, I believe, think the opposite, that by giving less, they're like protecting themselves. Not the case, right? If I'm hearing you correctly. No, no. Yeah. I mean, I rolled through a report this week on a claim where the claim is about uh, leaks in the bathroom. And the bathroom section has a checkbox and it says it was inspected. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. It was inspected. Good luck. So right? when so when to address something is is a sound practice if you feel conviction of it, obviously, not just Yeah. Yeah. Out. I mean, I would say to you that more often than not, the things if you think if, if it's a judgment call on whether somebody should come out and look at it, you always want to err on the side of caution for your client. Sure. They may not be happy that they had to pay the engineer five hundred or a thousand bucks to look at the wall, or the realtor might not be happy, the seller might not be happy, but you know what? That's part of the job. You know, I always tell people, my job as a lawyer is to not to make you happy. Sure. You know, job is to tell you the truth. So related to this, we have a feature in beta I want to get your opinion on. So like a lot of inspectors say, hey, I have a, I have a couple good contractors in these trades that I refer people to. I want to start including that. How do you, one, do you feel that is a, a good practice? Some states, you, you, you know, it's dicey and some states you can or can't, but that's a disclaimable thing, right? How do you feel about inspectors saying, because the home buyers are asking them, hey, do you know any plumbers? They're asking them and they're asking the realtor too. Just right. like they asked the realtor for a referral for an inspection. I mean, a lot of people when they're buying this house are moving from somewhere else. They don't know anybody. They don't have Perfect. family. 
they don't have a community there. You know, they're not coming with, you know, people from a church or people that they're in a social club with. They're completely removed now from their base. And so they're going to be looking for people to trust. And, and I always tell inspectors, I, this question comes up a lot in seminars, you know, where, what is the line there in terms of referring somebody? I have zero problem with an inspector recommending a certain contractor to their client or a group of contractors because they know those people are going to do good work. Right. And where the, the really the rub is, is in if there's money coming back, mm -hmm. right? Because that's where the state regulations in, in the 38 or so states that have them would start to, the ethics regulations would start to be part of the analysis there, right? Um, because some of them are much more stringent than others about uh, income sources for inspectors. Um, but I never have a problem with an inspector recommending a particular service or a, a company that does, you know, different home, home services. Um, that's what your clients want, you know, and, and, and you can't avoid it. Even though the regulation doesn't say you have to do this, you got to work in that community. I think it's a logical thing to do, too. I mean, and coming from someone myself that just moved cross country, right? I relied on my home inspector and the, and the contractor referrals that he gave me to, to have worked on around my house because I didn't. I didn't know uh, who to go to and what better person to ask for someone reputable than presumably a home inspector that theoretically would know people in the trades that do good work. And the home inspector has the best interests in mind. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a logical and practical way of, of, of referring business. To me, it's no different from your general practitioner doctor sending you the reward of the penis. Right. They're not going to say, go find one. Yeah. Go, go, go Google <laughs> it. Yeah. Good luck. Right. Right. <laughs> They're going to say, Hey, this is the person that I, and, and honest, honestly, the doctor reference is a really good thing because the doctor is not making any more money or less money off that referral. They don't yeah. care. And so they're going to say, they're, they're going to air to where I want you to go to people who I know can do the best for you. And I think it's the same for an inspector. Or like if you're subbing out part of the inspection work, I have a lot of inspectors that sub out the radon or the termite or the, the oil tank sweep or the mold testing. And they refer them to particular people. And it's because they know those people are going to do a good job. And there's something to be said for that. Is So I think like the basic worry, which I think is un, typically unfounded, is that like they'll be held liable if the person makes a mistake. I Tell me, give me the legal feedback here of like, it's kind of implied that when someone refers somebody, they're not taking accountability for the quality of that person's work. Like, just like you said, like the doctor is not worried about getting sued if they refer you to an orthodontist or specialist. So like, what would you say to inspectors that just always seem to worry that someone's going to go into a house and like kill someone and that they're going to be liable? <laughs> well, I mean, what we're talking about in legal terms, it's what we would call a claim for negligent referral, right? Mm -hmm. Or a conspiracy, you know, <laughs> they'll get that. Believe me when I tell you, these plaintiffs love the idea of the, the all the agents, the home inspectors just conspiring against yeah, them. Like yeah, like in a room somewhere, going, "Oh, we're gonna get them." Let's you know, screw over this person. With the bad four, like, <laughs> and it, it's never—I've never seen it pan out in twenty-five years, never. But they do it all the time because they like to make it look good for their clients, right? Sure. sure. But the, but the negligent referral is is a basically a claim that you knew or should have known that this person was going to do poor work or was a bad actor. And that's a hell of a thing to try to prove. Yeah, that Especially you if you've worked with that referrals, if you've sent other business to them and never had a complaint, good luck. Yeah. The other, now, as far as insulation, what we do for our inspectors that sub out ancillary services or even inspections, we provide them with a subcontractor agreement 
that insulates them from liability and puts the onus on that subcontractor to carry a, a sufficient insurance and to indemnify and defend the inspector from any liability for that narrow part of the service. And, um, and that's important because it, even if that other company has insurance, their insurer may not respond and defend you unless you have that agreement with your sub. Right. So it's, it's not enough to say, hey, do you have insurance or hey, make me an additional insured. You have to have a contract with them that says they're going to defend you if a claim's made related to their services. Okay. So it'd be beneficial for inspectors maybe to see someone like you guys, if they are recommending contractors to have something maybe in their base agreement even, right? That addresses that? Yeah. That says, you know, we may, we may refer you to contractors as part of our recommendations. Um, they are independent contractors. We have no responsibility. Can you tell I read these contracts? We have no responsibility <laughs> for any of the work they do or anything. What I put in my base agreement is a third-party provider provision that covers that. It says, we're not going to be responsible for any third parties. We're responsible for the work we agreed to do in this agreement. And that's that's how we deal with it in the home inspection agreement part. So the client's made aware very early on you know, that that's the case, that this is an independent referral, and you're going to go talk to them about your problem. Yes. I think the place when it comes to ancillary services where you might see that uh, to be the most prevalent would be something like a sewer scope, right? A lot of home inspectors, they they choose right. not to, so they don't want to get involved with it. Um, some, many do, but there are some that, that would rather just defer that to to a plumber. So, but um, given the, the chance of, let's say, for example, the, the sewer scope broke in the, uh, in the sewer line, or you know, they, they alleged they didn't go far enough out to determine that there was a failure of the line somewhere, I think it's important that if you're subbing that particular service out to have a to have a third party uh, independent contractor agreement in place in addition to having you being an additional insured on their insurance policy for that particular service. Good call. Cool. No, thanks for weighing in on that, guys. I, that's I think valuable information for for everyone listening. Um, and let's hit on reports because you mentioned reports, of course. Um, I'm biased. I think our reports are <laughs> I love them. Definitely so. Yeah, We're I think... biased about insurance too. It is <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Um, so it was it was surprised to me years ago when we chatted when you said, Hey, look, like I think your reports do give people a better chance. Um, I don't want to quote you, but like basically our reports are very visual in nature compared to some of our competitors. And um that was not necessarily with insurance in mind. We just thought, hey, this is easier for a human to read, a non, you know, a seventh grade level to see and digest. So um, do inspectoral inspectors get like a discount, right? Or like a, or I guess a, a little bit of a break because of the reports being more digestible to the end user. Oh yeah. So we, when we, you know, when we have to come up with the, the rate, the premium for somebody on a policy, there's a lot of factors that we go into it. And one of our key factors, and it was something, you know, Ben and I really, we used to see this when we were working with other carriers a lot, right? So we wanted to make sure in our company we dealt with this, but, you know, it's, it, it, we, we can give discounts when people are using appropriate risk management tools because it helps us and, and it, it helps them insulate risk, but more importantly, it just gives them a much better work product, you know, which is way beyond sure. just management part of this it's about this is your this is what people are going to remember you for it's not going to be because you showed up and you had a nice clean shirt they're going to right. remember the report, right they right. remember the report you wrote and so so i would say that you know having that in in your in your toolbox and having a good report does help us eliminate claims and so we give discounts not for every <laughs> type of report sure. product, but certainly for spectora because we can see the value 
of that product when we look at claims. You know, I get claims in and I get the Spector report. There are some things that make it much easier for me. My interface personally is much easier because I have one-click access to every paper that was produced by that inspector for that inspection. And, and tracking that stuff down is, is really, it's, I, I understand it's logistics, but it's a pain, you know? And, and so it makes my job much easier because I have everything that client received, I have it. And not only do I have it, but I have it in a form that I can use. You know, it's not a mimeograph that somebody copied six times and faxed to me. It's a dynamic product. And I use, when, like when, uh, using the Spectora one as an example, when we respond to claimants or their attorneys about cases, about claims, we cut and paste the exact sections right out of there because it's not just the words, it's the, how it's presented, it's the dynamic, because a lot of times we're arguing that, you know, the, the pushback we get all the time is, well, these poor home buyers, you know, you gave them this long report, they were signing stuff and they only had 10 days. And I, I get it. Right, but but it's a legal transaction, and it's the single biggest investment most people are ever going to make in their entire lifetime, from a cash perspective, from a safety perspective, from a life perspective. You need to read the report, even if it's a little long, right? Yeah. But 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 I use that because I'm also showing how conspicuous the information is, right? Because that's key too. When they try to say to me, "Well, I you know I'm paging through this thing and I didn't know what it said and I got lost and the kids were crying." I want to be able to say, yeah, I get it, but look how well this is laid out to, to drag your attention right to that thing that we're talking about that happens to be the thing that your claim is based on. Yeah, the where summary button or the safety hazard out, button. Right, where they said, get this checked out by a qualified professional prior to closing. Right, where it throws it right in your face. And, and that's the, dyna the dynamic nature of a web-based report. Our thesis early on was like, if you click that safety hazard button or that summary button, it literally shows you three cards where it's like, do not ignore these. They are red. The language in there is strong. Uh, you can't miss it. And again, like we, I say that, but you know, like my example, you have to remind 12 to 14 year olds of what to do. And it has to be very clear instructions for them because they will deviate from it. Or, you know, the, the other factor that comes into it, which is, is something none of us can control that I, drives me insane, is, you know, in the law profession, we call them jailhouse lawyers, but it's the uncles, aunts, cousins, friends, neighbors, um, and other folks who want, to, right, who want to interpret your report for the client and tell them what's important and what's right. not. And unfortunately, I get that a lot from agents. Where I'll, I'll literally, we'll have a lawsuit, and I'll, we'll subpoena their email file. And I got emails from the agent to your client saying, just focus on the ones in red. Or, or you know what? Don't worry about that other stuff. Only focus on the roof. You know, and how you, that's a battle you're going to, that's a difficult battle to fight because there's sometimes the people that referred that client to you. So right. the client thinks they're like the supreme source of information. And that's hard to deal with. But even then, if I have a really good quality layout design and well-ordered report, I can work around that. Yeah. Yep. I like that. And then the, back to what Ben's point of like the early and often communication of what they are and what they are not through emails, phone, text, whatever method. I always tell inspectors, tell homeowners this five to seven times if you can. Like you can't be redundant enough when it comes to what you're not. That's exactly right. Like repetition is sometimes the key to, to winning the battle here. And I always say to people, when I used to get asked questions like, well, what do you think about having a a summary and, you know, and then having a body of the report, isn't that redundant? And I would say, you know, sometimes things are important enough to say twice. 
Yeah. A lot of you us, are, a lot of us are parents here. Have you ever repeated yourself? <laughs> right. right. Like, sometimes I have to choose different words, you know, and, and lay out that communication sometimes, but eventually I'm going to get there. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what we want. Sometimes, like I said, in, in this world, people's attention is distracted very easily. So they might be reading that report and get a call and maybe, maybe that, line in the summary they missed, but they catch it in the body of the report. And so it's important enough, I think, to repeat things sometimes. Yeah, 100%. Look, guys, this is awesome. Where can people get in touch with you guys if they want to learn more, get tips, get opinions? Where's the best place? Yeah, I can be reached directly. Uh, my cell phone number is 302-690-9839. Email is my first initial last name, B Garrison at Elite MGA. And then our website is EliteMGA.com. Yeah, we keep it simple. We're simple people. Uh, EliteMGA.com, you'll see stuff there about um, all our programs and products. And then if you have you know specific questions about risk management or anything like that, reach out to Ben and, and the two of us will get back with you and talk to you about our program. Awesome guys. I'll put, I'll, I'll put that in the descriptions and um, podcast notes, but like this was packed full of value guys. Thanks. This is, this is awesome. Thank you. Uh, we love this much better. I'd rather talk to people in advance of problems all the time. So this is a, a great venue for us. I appreciate you having us. 100%. Cool. All right, guys. Kevin, thanks for your time, man. All right. Take Thank care. You. Have a good one. See you.